This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. You're listening to Inside Commercial Property. I'm with Scott O'Neill, Director, Founder, Rethink Investing. The podcast for people who are serious about investing in commercial property, expanding their portfolio out, transitioning from residential to commercial, pure commercial investors. It's a growing community, uh, traffic and uh, downloads off the charts. So it would appear that we're doing something well resonating with the community. And I think there's a lot of commercial buyers in the market this sort of last 18 months as a lot of people have navigated the residential property market and have gone, oh, maybe there's a better option somewhere else and commercial where it is. We're going to get into it today. Scott O'Neill, how are you, mate? You well? Yeah, very good, mate. Good to be back. It is good to be back. Here we are once again, our monthly Inside Commercial Property. It's been good fun doing this uh, over COVID-19. And we now know yesterday, we're recording this on on, uh, Tuesday, yesterday, uh, Scott, um, Australia opened up to the world. Uh, first flights arrived. First flight was a Singapore Airlines flight that arrived an hour early. I think it is a good, really good metaphor, Scott, for how the economy is going to bounce back with the wind behind it all the way down from Singapore. It blew it really fast. It got there an hour ahead of schedule and people off the plane, no hotel quarantine, uh, straight out there and, and getting back to business. So big milestone for Australia. We're on our way, mate. Yeah, it looks that way. There's uh, definitely a two-speed airport market at the moment. You can see some uh, very busy ones and some that are completely closed up nearly. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic plays out. But um, yeah, no, it's, it's all going in the right direction, it seems. And I guess it's a fair call to make that uh, commercial property is intrinsically connected in with economic activity. So if there is economic activity, there should, therefore, uh, the thesis should be that there is greater commercial property activity. Fair enough? Exactly. Yeah. So things like unemployment rate, obviously, is tied into commercial property. You know, like currently it's sitting at 4.6%, which that's about a 2.2% increase or decrease rather in the last 12 months. So things are looking very good from a business front. I know you know, we are both hiring people at the moment and it is hard finding applicants. Uh, it's just, yeah, there's a shortage of workers at the moment. And that is due to, uh, you know, a couple of things. Obviously, the economy is expanding, but also due to the border closures, there's less skilled workers around. There is less skilled workers and you're going to see this as borders open up and, you know, people are coming in and there's no caps on planes anymore. You know, there was caps beforehand because there was only so many people they could put in a quarantine or we we're only able to manage so many people. Now the planes are full. You're going to have expats coming back who have been uh, wanting to get back to Australia through the COVID pandemic and back to where we are here. Scott, we're talking about a lifestyle superpower. But you're also going to start seeing students coming in and these largely the people who will be waiting the tables and serving you beers and, and wine at bars and, you know, your hospitality workers, they're crying out for people right now. But then also this influx of skilled workers and and you think skilled i think a lot of people sort of get carried away with this they think oh that's management consultants and um and these type of people skilled workers are teachers skilled workers are nurses skilled workers are aged care support professionals these are the skilled workers that australia is going to need to attract moving forward and that's going to be a big uplift and again it's connected in with the fortunes of commercial property so we now get to um diarize how this is going to bounce back through this period of time uh, Scott, and see this sort of macro, micro economic nuances and how it actually applies into how commercial 
prop investors should be driving forward. And I thought today the opportunity for us, Scott, was to get a bit of a an opportunity for our, our listeners to understand sort of where you get intelligence around commercial property and, and also expanding out into, you know, broadening your situational awareness. And we're talking about, you know, people coming into Australia. Let's use a plain metaphor from it. Situational awareness is something which pilots use to know what's going on at any particular time so they can make the most informed decision. I think property investors in a commercial space can channel those same things. Uh, so we're going to get into that today, uh, Scott, but let's kick off, mate. Resi markets are running hot at the moment. I would say commercial markets are moving with a fair bit of gusto as well. Can you give me some sense to what's the same across both the markets, what's different across both the markets and where and when you think you should be considering commercial over resi in this particular part of the property cycle? Yeah, look, it's a very broad question and pretty tricky one to answer, but sort of breaking it down when it comes to sort of comparing residential to commercial, you really need to uh, factor in higher interest rates for both. You know, like we're looking at APRA's sort of making some changes and some like inflation's growing. Like you can hear everything from building costs are going to uh, wages to price of fuel. Everything is going up. And uh, that's going to do one thing for interest rates long term. It will put pressure on CPI. And that can be a very good thing for commercial investors. So a lot of people ask me, what happens when interest rates rise? They're going to rise off the back of inflation. So it's one of the bluntening tools for the RBA to actually cull that inflation into that 2 to 3% per annum target they want. So remember, commercial rents are attached to CPI in most cases, CPI increases. If rents are going up, so is your yield. So it's important as a commercial investor to have CPI. You can't just have yield compression, which is what we've seen in the last 12 months. Like to answer your question, there's been some areas of growth in the vicinity of 20% in the last 12 months. That's the likes of industrial. Most retail type investments have grown over 10%. Office is somewhere just south of that, but not far off. But you know, the office market, industrial market, and the retail markets, they've all been supercharged by low stock, you know, this very tight market we're in, and people are using the cheap money just to buy whatever they can because the yields are relatively you know, extremely strong versus everything else out there. So it's an attractive asset, even when interest rates go up. And that that theme will continue through into next year as well. The economy is 1.6% higher than it was last year. And that's before the openings have had their impact. So this is data from three months ago when Melbourne and Sydney were closed. So there's a lot of good things that'll happen to these markets. And that's kind of the data I look at. I don't look at night prank reports and go, oh, look, the the growth of square meter rates of an A-class office market is this. That's not how you make commercial decisions, at least for me, it's not, because that's reporting on the past. And you want to be a little bit, I guess, you've got to be a little bit earlier on in the information. And that's where these forward indicators of unemployment, what things are happening in, you know, in terms of themes with business. Like we all know the e-commerce boom is just something that's just continually marching on from strength to strength. And that's you know, these kind of, they're hard to measure sometimes. So you don't want to just sit and look at reports and then go off and decide, oh, I'm going to go buy in that area because I saw the vacancy rate was tight. It's a little bit too wishy-washy if you do that. So what you're talking about there is information and intelligence. And when you have good info and you have good intelligence, uh, you can use that to form opinions, form assessments, and therefore take action. So you're talking about sort of this breadth of, let's call them primary sources, 
out there. And, and you could talk about, you know, if you want to even talk intelligence, right? You've got sort of human intelligence and you've got signals intelligence, right? So human intelligence is what people are saying. Signals intelligence is the fact where you go and get information, you work it out, right? Let's channel that for a moment. Uh, so in, for commercial property investors, you have in terms of the information intelligence you can gather, you get these primary sources in talking about data, you're talking about documents created by Knight Franks or CBREs or this. There's a whole bunch of people that produce information, whether it's in the aggregate form or it's unique around it. But then you've got the actual what's happening yourself, the ground truth, what's speaking to agents, speaking to property developers, all those people who are out there sort of feeling at the moment, thinking forward rather than backwards. And you really need a really good balance of those two in order to make really good informed decisions, uh, Scott. So thinking about sort of the hard info you can gather before you get on the phone and talk to people. I'm talking about hard info, the armchair researcher using all the tools available now and all the information on the interweb. What would you say are the top five things you need to be really connected with and using? And what would be the bottom five things that just dismiss it and don't worry about it? So like your Phil, your summary was perfect. There is, you know, there is a mix between the two. So you never rely on one source. And one of the things I think if you're looking at armchair research, I've always liked vacancy rates. And this is for both residential as well. For me, vacancy rates are a forward indicator of growth. For example, if the vacancy rates drop from 3% to 1%, that tells me there's people, renters growing for uh, whatever properties are out there. So that will actually put upward pressure on rents. As that happens, invest, well, your rents will grow, the yields will grow in time as well. And as the yields are higher, investors are going to see these higher yields and go, well, look, that makes it more, more sense to pay more money for this because I've got a higher yield because I've got less vacancy rate and less, um, there's less risk from a leasing point of view. So if you can get your head around exactly what's happening from a leasing point of view, that's a very good start. Now, unfortunately, with commercial, there's no quick fix here. There is no... In my time, I haven't sort of come across a research house that will produce data on a local level that I can rely on. There's a few reasons for that. Number one, most of those big research papers are tailored to the top end of town and they really focus on things like CBD office markets or, you know, massive shopping centres or A-class industrial properties which are 20,000 square meters or above. Like the, it's, it's just targeted institutional investor, pretty much super funds. Exactly. And you yeah. can't really use that data. It's not useful for you. It's just not relevant. And then to make things worse, you can compare the reports to the top five companies out there and they all vary. And because they use a lot of their own in-house data, because they obviously self-manage a lot of these properties. So they're going to be pulling that data from their own sources and it'll be varied between, you know, company to company. And, um, it's just unreliable. And then the other thing I've found is if you go through one of those automatic research houses where they just pull data for websites, they don't factor in the fact that listings don't get taken down. So you might have an industrial property that's vacant. There might be three companies advertising it, CBRE, Colliers, and Ray White, call it. So you've got three guys trying to lease the same property. One of them fills it, but then the three ads still stay up there for six to 12 months generally they use those ads as a feeder for new properties. So all of a sudden there's, it's showing three vacancies that aren't even there. So it might make the, I guess, that automatic research data look look false. So the only way to really get in there and fix this, because I've spoken to a couple of these guys that run these research houses, they've got to pay people that literally call up the ads manually and have to adjust them manually once that data is pulled. It's very hard to keep that info up to date. And that's the problem. So 
for me, I don't rely on any of that. I rely on our own running research, which is just talking to the agents. We know the properties in that specific area. We can call them up and say, how long was that vacant for? Is it really vacant? That manual data is the most reliable source, but it's very hard to do that on a macro level, of course. That's a real problem. And making good decisions on good information intelligence is what the best commercial investors do. Making decisions based on bad information intelligence is exactly what you don't want to be doing. And it sounds as though the information, as in what is obtainable for the armchair researcher, we'll call them that. I don't know. Give me a percentage of how many ghost vacancies are there. You talk about three people listing the same property and they don't update it. Is 50% of the vacancies listed at any given time ghost vacancies that don't exist? I'd say it could be even higher than that sometimes. Um, I know there was an article out about six months ago showing Townsville's vacancies. I spoke to all these different, uh, I guess, all the leasing managers because it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a horror story showing this, like there was, I don't know how many hundreds of vacancies on that market. It looked terrible. I called up all the, you know, the main blokes and people I know out there that are leasing these properties and they're like, well, that's, you know, that's bullshit. You know, that's not vacant. That's not vacant. They're old ads. They're using the ads for feeders, for new tenants, for other properties, you know, it's for their market. You know, there's all these reasons these ads were still up. It was around 80% were false. So it was, it was, it was just data that wasn't updated. 80% yeah. wasn't. Now that was one market about six months ago. Yeah. So I'm sure that number will vary massively depending where you go. But yeah, you just got to be careful. The vacancy rates with the big companies tend to be a lot more accurate because they are looking at the top end of town. So, you know, you can see like probably the most well-documented ones are the office markets and uh, you can clearly see there's a lot of effort that goes into measuring the trends. And, you know, we can see, you know, like I was looking at a, uh, Savile's report the other day and Savile's was showing how Sydney vacancy rates in 2019 were around 4%. Now they're up around 9%. So it's more than doubled because of COVID. And, mm. you know, these are trends that have been measured for decades and, you know, they've got all the other capital cities off the back of it. So th- there's a lot more effort in measuring a Sydney CBD market versus the Townsville small industrial market, for example. So, yeah, the data is a little bit hard to catch in this. It is one of the biggest issues for commercial. There, it's a you know, it's a bit of a dark art to know what's really going on in this space, and and that's where it's just pounding the pavement, talking to your local leasing managers. Just ask them how long would this be vacant for if I bought it. That type of local, you know, and every commercial property is so different. So mm-hmm. this is why you can't generalize. You know, I often use the analogy: imagine you're buying in a retail corner shop on the you know front of an intersection versus the one around the back alley one would look way cheaper and a better deal on paper but the one on the corner position is forever a better property so there's no data in the world that's going to really make you feel comfortable in that situation it's quite concerning that to your point and it's going to vary depending on where it is that the data is so far out of kilter with what the actual ground truth is and this goes to this dichotomy and, and the need for both, to be fair, to immerse yourself in the information that you can obtain to help form a picture, but it still comes down to the ground truth, the the human intelligence, as in going and looking and feeling and smelling and sensing and connecting with people who are connected in with a particular property. And, you know, it is a dark art commercial. I've, I've sort of spent, I spent one sort of Saturday sort of really digging into it, just trying to answer some questions I had, and it's nearly impossible to find out much about the commercial market and, and whether that's deliberate or no one knows 
how to do it or what to do, but I can't even find the number, Scott, and maybe you know, of how many commercial leases are there in Australia. There is X number of residential properties. There's 2.7 million investment properties in Australia, of which 2 million of them are managed by property managers. We know that that information is there. What is it for commercial? Does anyone know? No, it's a a great question. And look, there is an opportunity for a research house to really pin this down. It'll take, I guess, if you can do it with residential, you can do it with commercial. It's just a lot more, it just doesn't have the same volume of people wanting this information as well. Mm. And, um, you know, I was was Googling the other day, like average industrial growth rates, and uh, you're going to find a whole lot of nothing out there. It's so hard to get that type of data. And even valuers, you can value two identical properties within a month and they'll vary 20%. So it is, there's a lot of value to the eye of beholders sometimes, you know, in this situation, like I find looking at the yields is, is the best way for me to value properties. Like I look at the square meter rates first local properties around. So you can just see if the rent is at fair market rate. Mm. And then you simply look at the yield and then compare it to other similar properties. That takes a lot of the guesswork out. Because if I'm getting a 7% for an industrial property in Perth and it's a 5% for something at the same distance from the city in Adelaide, I know that Perth asset looks like very, a very good deal versus the Adelaide one. And then you can actually compare the square meter rates for the rentals and you can see the tenants are on the same wicket as well. Yeah, simplifying things like that does help. But yeah, unfortunately, there's no lovely uh, shortcut with data that you can just go to and, and all your questions are answered. And, and that's where it gets into the too hard basket for people. But there's ways around that. You just got to talk to your locals. You have, you know, your experts from a leasing manager. You know, you've got valuers, which, you know, they all vary in their expertise and what they specialize in. Obviously, buyers agents that will do large volumes of stuff will, will help because they can compare apples with apples between different states. And um, yeah, look, obviously talking to accountants and stuff like that, which will, you know, I guess link things up from that point of view as well. Yeah. It's a minefield and there and probably the reason why you don't have as many property investors that operate inside of commercial of what there is in Resi. You know, if anyone knows that number, let us know as in how many like how many commercial properties are there for lease in Australia and how many are leased by businesses or, or, or leased uh, individually? It is probably one of the biggest black holes in property uh, yeah. at the moment. And uh, someone needs to sort this out. So I don't think it's benefiting anyone uh, not to do it. But the thing is that, you know, commercial property is, is often being the bastions of uh, your large institutions. So super funds where most of us, if you've got a retail and industry fund, guess what? You've probably got some of your money tied up in in commercial property and they might be large industrial parks. They might be the buildings that you see down in Sydney or Melbourne or Brisbane or wherever else, the the big skyscrapers. They're normally owned by these type of funds and they pump the money into it. They either build them or buy them and then they just lease them out and they get a return for, for, for their investors. Now, that's typically been a bastion of commercial property where most people frame it, but there is this, this real undertow of of smaller commercial assets, which is probably really the heartbeat of commercial investing. Your, your large organisations like your Knight Frank or your CBRE or your Savills normally put their attention to the top end of town. But how would you split, Scott? We're talking about sort of numbers here, big end of town type commercial versus more mum and dad, mid-range, mid-market, smaller market commercial. Is it 50-50 in terms of value, do you think, or 50-50 oh. in terms of aggregate size? Look, it would be definitely skewed towards the larger end of town, definitely, because, you know, every tower in the city is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. And um, 
my business focuses on the mums and dads side of things. So we, we operate, you know, we're very active under 20 million and that number keeps growing at the moment. But, mm. you know, most of our deals are under 5 mil and there's not that many out there worth buying. And that's obviously one of our, you know, that's the limiter for our growth always. Like we've got clients, but, you know, it's amount of good quality properties out there worth buying. That's the trick. And obviously, you know, one $300 million tower, you need a lot of smaller ones to make that number up. And yeah, yeah look, I, I definitely, I'd love to find out that aggregate. So if there's, you know, a statistician in your, uh, your mix that knows these answers, like, I think that would be a good thing to sort of discuss in the future that, you know, how we can actually crunch down on some of these numbers. A lot of it won't make, you know, make your investment decisions for you. But yeah, we, we can definitely, I guess I represent the mums and dads of the world. And uh, and I know from a data point of view, we are, you know, we're left wanting a lot of the time. And that's why we rely on that anecdotal evidence, which is just talking to leasing managers, talking to sales agents. That's how we make our calls. And that goes into the the reference I used before around situational awareness. And that's a, a pilot term really, as well as where it originated from, which is, Give me all the information I need at any particular time. If you've ever been to a cockpit, Scott, you'll see there is literally dials all over the joint and switches. And what it does, it just tells someone at any given time what's going on with their aeroplane and then also helps them know what's happening outside of their aeroplane, as in is there any other planes around? Is there any weather coming? Is there any route changes? Is there any whatever? Right, This is situational awareness. And I think if you can embody that as a property investor, particularly in commercial, you'll be much better at it. Now, to use that same analogy, you've got all the information on the dials, tells you what's going on. That's the stuff we're talking about. And we're saying that the info is not that good, but it's what's happening outside the aeroplane, which is the key. What is coming down line? What's happening over here? What's happening over there? And this is what you do by talking to people, which is still the best way to gather information. Now, you spoke about connecting with local real estate agents at a sales side or the rental side. That there is probably 101 stuff for all commercial property investors. You need to be dialed into the markets in order to know what's going on to make more informed decisions. Now, Scott, what's the best way to actually start down that process? Do you just call up a local agent who does commercial sales in a particular area and just go, hey, what's happening at the moment? Can you tell me anything about the market? Yeah. So what we do for our clients is when we buy a property, We'll actually, like, we're like lucky, lucky enough to sort of know a lot of the leasing managers in town. So we'll actually call them almost as mates and go, what do you think about this property? Tell me all the uh, warts and all. I want to know the good, the bad, why it's for sale. Do you know anything wrong with it? You know, are there bad neighbours? Tell me. And they will because they, they'll do it for two reasons. Number one, they're trying to help you. And number two, that sometimes they're trying to crash the deal for their competitor. So they'll dig up what they can for you. And you're going to get that really good local knowledge from that. And you've got to take all the information to hand and, and make your own judgment because things can be exaggerated. Things might be missed. You know, it, it's up to you to sort of connect the dots, but that's the best start. Talk to local leasing managers and, and the right ones. And then remember in the back of the mind that sometimes they may try uh, over exaggerate a certain risk because they lost that listing, you know, just take that into account and, it's probably the same as what you do with residential. You know, they'll they'll say, oh, the house, don't, it's overpriced or whatever. You know, they may be just a little salty because they missed out on that listing. That's how we do a lot of our research. Um, even like when we dig into things, we call the tenants and, you know, ask for financials if we can get them and check payment histories and all that. And that's with commercial. If your tenant is paying a certain amount of rent and they haven't missed a payment for three years, 
a lot of that and like you talk to them and go, look, they're happy to sign another five-year lease. You can see they're engineering the risk out of it because they're not missing payments. They want to stay longer. That yield that you promised is actually going to happen. So it doesn't really matter what happens three doors down or if an agent said, oh, you know, there's there's an issue with that, but like because we've spoken to the tenant and there isn't an issue. So it's, again, you can see how granular this is. We're not looking at uh, global reports for Singapore offices comparing it to Sydney or Melbourne. Like we're, we're talking about guys on the ground dealing with these actual people and that is how we make most of our decisions and it, it's how we get comfortable with an asset when we we think like a local and buy like a local yeah they're really good skills and, and everyone can develop them they learn skills uh if you think you're not good at talking to people to get information well start working on those skill sets because it'll better you but you know on that basis scott you, you you're always talking to people who are not necessarily working for you, they're working for someone else. And you always need to be sort of questioning any information that you get from anyone about whether or not it's biased. And you're going to get that from real estate agents. You're going to get that from you know your large ones and your small ones because they're normally operating on behalf of the vendor and they've got the vendor's best interests in mind. So you need to start building out those people who act and operate for you. And often it's paid. So you pay for that service. And this is this sort of, you know, circle of influence that you can develop. Some of it might be sort of more loose and fluid as in friends and mates. You know, I'd, I'd give you a call, Scott, and go, I'm looking at this place. What do you reckon? Uh, this is people. So people I know and trust to give me some insights. But then also there's those people that operate for you and it's a professional uh, relationship, i.e. people engage you to identify, locate, negotiate, and secure property for them. So building out this sort of circle of influence, accountants, lawyers, financial planners, your mortgage broker, how do you go about building out this team and use them effectively? Look, I think it's always good to build a team of investors around you. It's the age-old thing where, you know, I've had some clients over the years buy a property, they go and their accountant says, don't take on that debt. That's bad. Debt is bad. Debt is not bad if you're getting a better return on equity. You've got, you know, interest rate covers of a certain percentage. So if interest rates go up, you're covered. You're effectively buying more property with less money down. And an accountant will, or some, uh, like there's a lot of really good ones out there, but there's also a lot of uh, ones that have no idea about investing that will, uh, you know, tell you to, don't, you know, just put that into shares. Don't leverage, you know, don't, don't go for commercial investment because it's risky you know they're just simply not in this space so if like some of my best clients are you know run accounting practices and it's because they get it you know they may have started buying their office that they put their staff in and next minute they're buying industrial properties and shopping centers with their profits so understanding investing is the key so your circle of influence really needs a mortgage broker that does like when i'm talking commercial if they're not regularly doing commercial loans every day of the week, they're probably not the mortgage broker for this space because I guess one red flag is sometimes they go, oh, look, you're going to need 12 weeks to get a loan. A good commercial broker should be able to get it in in less than half, oh, 20, 21, 28 days type of thing. It's because they've got the right channels through the banks and they know which ones are moving quicker than others. It's just specialist advice. So, Special advice in loans are important. Accounting, would, you know, an accountant that is an investor. Obviously, when you actually find the deal, having a good commercial lawyer, don't use a conveyancer that just does a few little, you know, resis on the side. Like you need a guy to pull a lease apart. Because remember, if you've got a lawyer that will go and dig through 
you know, a WA lease and know the difference between that, between different states and what incentives and how to look into a personal guarantee, that's going to protect you massively. And, um, you know, that's another sort of safeguard. A good commercial insurance broker is someone as well. The amount of properties we have been buying with clients at the moment to find out that it is insured by 25% of what it really should be. So then the premium goes up four times. Like we had one premium go up 12 times what the previous insurance was. It wasn't because we were getting ripped off on insurance. It was because the current owner just, he basically didn't insure his property properly. Like he didn't tell him, tell him there was a cold storage facility in it. And he then insured the building for like half its value as well. And then, you know, basically there's a lot of this stuff going on. Mm. Imagine you, you don't insure your property and it burns down, you know, that can be game over for your portfolio. So that's another profession you need. And then, um, you know, like obviously having someone that's really good at, you know, there's always good to have someone that is across the economy, you know, and that's why like we, we talk about the economy a little bit more in these podcasts more because that is a forward indicator for commercial property. And um, if you know what's going on with the economy, you kind of have a good feeling of where interest rates are going. You know what certain industries are, are, are recoiling or, or getting into a stronger positions. That. Like there's always a friend that's, you know, your economist friend. So keep keep them in their back pocket as well. And um, obviously sourcing commercial property is the hardest thing at the moment. So that's where a specialist buyer's agent will come into it. Someone that's just going to give you access to off-market stock. And then you can use all your other professionals to effectively cross-check them if you want. But that team would certainly be a, a massive power play in this market. Yeah, and you've got to get this team right. And sometimes you've got to rotate few, through through a few people before you actually get that team. And some of it's going to be skills and capabilities, but then also sometimes it's going to be personality. Um, you know, the best accountant, the best lawyer, the best whatever, are people who you can actually engage with and you enjoy engaging with them. And, and sometimes you're just not going to find people who, who the mix is right or you might not be right for them. So expect to spend a bit of time sorting that out. Um, no doubt, Scott, you've got a pretty good suite of, of professionals you, you dial into um, to support your clients with as well, I would imagine. Yeah, it's taken me 10 years to to sort of, I guess, lock down. And like you mentioned, Phil, the, you've got to go through certain individuals to end up with the right ones. They don't all need to know each other as well. If they work together well, that's a bonus. But um, at the end of the day, you're the glue that keeps this team together. Hmm. It's just like running a business, but... Uh, it's not face-to-face and these guys are here to protect you and help you make the right decisions and get access to the right stock in the first place. Yeah, and I find that running a, a couple of capabilities simultaneously, so two lawyers potentially or or even two buyers agents, uh, uh, two financial advisors who will work with you and, and you use them over time, but it's always good to, to always have that sort of, you know, dual focus where you can move and it gives you scale as well which is really important. So you can do two things at the same time without overburdening and overloading uh, these professionals. And that might work for you. That might not work for you, but you need to build it out. What about sort of just your, your community? So people you're not paying to help you, professional fees that you're paying to help you be a, a better commercial property investor. Just, just people who are doing same stuff to you, this sort of peer network, peer-to-peer learning. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, that's huge. Like the amount of guys that will follow each other you know like i've seen it hundreds and hundreds of examples where a client of mine will buy a commercial property then his mate will see what he did and then they're just talking and sharing and getting each other's opinion on it like they're literally they're not paying each other they're almost doing it together hand in hand but um and that's a really good setup too because it can lead to some 
competitive type arrangements where you want to, you know, because they bought one this year, you know, maybe you should, you know, think about investing as well to keep up. And and that kind of can lead to you all being in a better overall wealth position too. And um, I work with a lot of expats as well and, and expats, uh, that's a trend that they they'll get together and talk about their Australian investments, uh, residential, commercial, whatever it is. And, um, you know, Bitcoin, like they're all going to be talking in a group. And then that encourages you to think longer and harder about these these properties. And um, it's not you just coming out and saying, I'm going to buy a property, you buy it, and then that's it. You know, it becomes a little bit of a community style thing. And the more you think about this stuff, the better, because, you know, especially when it comes to commercial, like this will make you retire if you get mm-hmm. it right. And it's not about just, you know, putting five minutes of work into it and then that's it, you're, you're done. You know, like you want to build a portfolio and that means buy a little bit of retail, buy some industrial, have your house you live in. Like it's about a portfolio building thing. And and I don't know about, about you, Phil, but it, it literally becomes part of your life. It's it's an important part of it because it's what's going to be there when we're not working and um, you've got to put care into it and, and uh, feed the beast basically to keep it moving forward. Yeah, and, and all these things need to, to work together. You can't do any of them in isolation and get the impact that you need. So just remember that you've got to immerse yourself in the information and data, form your opinion, immerse yourself in a connectivity with the sector agents and, and and property managers understand what's going on. Immerse yourself into building out your own professional capabilities with lawyers and buyers agents and financial planners, mortgage brokers, et cetera. And then immersing yourself in the community of like-minded people who are doing the same thing you are. Those four things, um, if you can get that network, it's called, I guess, the network effect of all that, it's not a one plus one plus one plus one equals four. It's one plus one plus one plus one equals about 10, right? If you get that right. And I think tuning into podcasts like this, Scott, is probably part of that as well. Um, should be part of your situational awareness is understanding how other people are doing it, what they're doing, the mistakes they're making, and listening to the blokes like me and Scott talk about it um, should really help recalibrate or reframe how you're doing things or or even just give a thumbs up to you going down the right pathway. So that's why we do what we do, Scott. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, moving into next year, like the, you know, talking about what we're doing, like we will continually target the likes of industrial. We've got a, an extra focus on retail because I think that's going to have a resurgence next year as there's more foot traffic around. I believe there's going to be some type of distraction effect next year where everyone starts booking their Northern Hemisphere holidays to Europe and the US and all that kind of stuff. Because remember, when people work or go on tra- like traveling, your investing becomes a little bit lower on your priority list. And, mm. and we've noticed this for the last seven years of business, except for last year and because of COVID, that in June, July, August, it does get quieter because people are... I guess a lot of the people that are investing also have the money to travel. So you're not going to really be bothering, you know, trying to sort contracts out. A lot of them do, mind you, but mm. it's just, you know, there'll be that distraction effect to come into it. But I think the overall theme and this momentum behind that market will seriously make that a side note as well because there's a, there's a little thing called immigration that's going to start <laughs> upping and that could uh, that could. I don't even know what will happen yet, but that'll be an interesting thing to watch out for. And yeah, that will be one of the trends of 2022, which which is uh, right now a little bit of an unknown, but that could have massive impact for the positive if there aren't any other major dramas, I guess. Yeah, that will change things. But uh, Scott, I think we've done well today, mate. That was a really good discussion. I've enjoyed that. Thank you very much. No problem, mate. <laughs> <laughs>
It's uh, Scott O'Neill, Rethink Investing. Scott, what do people, if people want to sort of pick your brain, you happy to take phone calls or emails or anything like that? Yeah, just, just email us through our website, rethinkinvesting.com.au. We always do our best to get back to everyone. Like we are quite busy trying to get back, but yeah, look, always, always ready to talk. So just Excellent. reach out and we'll do our best. Nice one. Thank you. That's uh, Rethink Investing. The man, the guy working, co-hosting with me of Insight Commercial Property. Hope you enjoyed that, everyone. Remember, go and check out Rethink Investing. Uh, just Google them. You can have a look at them. Uh, we'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye.